MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, November 2nd, 2021. Today, Virginia will choose a governor as Trump and Yunkin leave room for the Holy Ghost. I'll explain later. Dems are continuing to hash out the final budget reconciliation bill. SCOTUS hears oral arguments in the Texas abortion ban case, and Manchin holds a press conference spewing bullshit for attention. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Boy, I just don't give a fuck in the intro today, huh? <laughs> yeah, you know what? And you shouldn't give a fuck. Everyone's tired of Manchin's bullshit. Oh, it's one thing after another. I just you you should be spewing. You should be spewing that all over the place. So when I say Trump and Yunk and leaving room for the Holy Ghost, I used to go to dances in Catholic school. And if you slow danced too close with a boy. Yeah. Inevitably, a nun would come up to you and push you apart a little bit and remind you to leave room for the Holy Ghost. And I feel like that's what's going on with Trump and Jesus. Just leave room for Jesus. (laughs) Oh, they didn't go as far as Jesus. So like, almost as <laughs> oh, if to say... Oh, because that's a threesome. Right, sorry. <laughs> right, almost as if to say, <laughs> Jesus wouldn't be caught dead at one of our functions. <laughs> oh. Caught dead? <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry. I, uh, I, just because I you did that and we're on this. So there's a sign in LA. There's If you live in LA, you may have seen this on Melrose. It's like cookies. And you're like, what is that? And you find out it's a dispensary. But right next to it, it says sweet Jesus cookies because they were smart enough to put a cookie store next to their dispensary. But I think their tagline should be sweet Jesus cookies, so sinful they're to die for. I mean, because oh. that's brilliant. <laughs> it is perfect. It's perfect. It reminds me of when I was in college, staying in the dorm, like the freshman dorm mm-hmm. with my roommate. We had windows that looked out to the quad where everybody was hang out and have lunch and stuff. And this was uh, McConnell Hall at Northern Arizona University Lumberjacks. And looking at, we had these neighbors who were like super Christians. They would leave messages on our whiteboard like, Jesus still loves you, even though you're terrible. Oh, my God. There's time to, there's time to, you know, convert or whatever, repent. And so, but you look at the, looking at our rooms from the quad, our room was on the right and their room was on the left. We were right next to them, our windows. And they would put these uh, religious messages on their windows facing the quad. And we would put responses to, <laughs> to the right next door, which That's probably fantastic. prompted those whiteboard messages. But my favorite one is they put Jesus loves you really big uh, on their window. And I responded with, but he's on the rebound. Nice. And uh, yeah, and I think that is exactly what prompted them to write that we should repent on our whiteboards. But anyway. Well done. Well done. We we digress. Yes, that's just a story to get you started on this Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm. And speaking of religious freedoms, we will be talking about the Supreme nice. Court hearing today. Thank you very much. And later in the show, I'm going to be talking with the host of Spy Talk. It's an awesome podcast hosted by Jeff Stein. It's got four decades in intelligence reporting. And he is joining the MSW Media family to sort of fill that gap of an intelligence, intelligence discussions, not intelligent discussions, but intelligence discussions. (laughs) (laughs) Big gap to fill. My goodness. We sure could use some intelligent discussions on this network. All right. So let's um, let's get to the news. We have a lot of it today. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. 
All right. Virginia votes today and this election will have national implications and it could give us some insight into how 2022 could go. Glenn Youngkin, the Republican contender in Virginia's tight governor race, will not participate in Donald's upcoming virtual tele-rally for his campaign. Monday night, the former president held in a phone rally, tele-rally for Youngkin. That's the eve of the election, which was last night. Trump previously teased plans to visit Virginia. Man, may come visit Virginia. And uh, Youngkin said, no, leave room for the Holy Ghost because he's trying to distance himself, <laughs> but still somehow keep his head up his ass. It's anyway, Trump never showed up because those suggestions never came to fruition. Youngkin is running against Terry McAuliffe, former Democratic governor. With the polling putting the two candidates neck and neck, Trump has endorsed Youngkin for re-election several times, while the Biden administration has pledged strong support for McAuliffe, obviously. Just strong support. They sent everybody in the kitchen sink to to campaign for McAuliffe. The kitchen sink might actually be a better endorsement than Trump right now, actually. <laughs> Right. Yeah. But yeah, for for the Democrats, I mean, they sent oh, Biden yes. and Obama and I mean, they sent everybody. Oh, we got Rachel Venman. I mean, our friends here at this network, they all went mm-hmm. and did it. Yes, they, it was good stuff. They all did. Yeah, it was really great. And uh, despite Trump's support, Youngkin told reporters Saturday he would not be attending the tele-rally, <laughs> short of entirely distancing himself from the event. He also added that his campaign has likely been in touch with the former president's team. We've talked, we've talked. And he just says, quote, I'm not going to be engaged in the teletown hall. The teams are talking, I'm sure. With McAuliffe trying to tie Trump to Youngkin, Youngkin keeps scooting away from Trump's outreach. And it's obvious and embarrassing. Quote, it is just killing Trump that he is not here, obviously, said McAuliffe on Saturday. He is in the race. Obviously, he has endorsed Youngkin seven different times. (laughs) Biden appeared at a campaign event in Arlington, Virginia, Tuesday, where he, like McAuliffe, frequently targeted Trump in an effort to fire up the Democratic voting base. Biden also accused Youngkin of keeping his distance from the former president while pledging loyalty in private. Quote, Terry's opponent has made all of his private pledges of loyalty to Donald Trump. But what's really interesting to me, he won't stand next to Donald Trump. Think about it. He won't allow Donald Trump to campaign for him in the state. He's willing to pledge his loyalty to Trump in private. Why not in public? What's he trying to hide? Is there a problem with Trump being here? Is he embarrassed? Fucking <laughs> love Joe Biden. Survey says. And despite his reticence to be associated with Trump, Youngkin said earlier in his campaign that Trump represents so much of why I'm running. And he also repeatedly pledged to pursue election integrity, quote unquote, which is an echo of Trump's big lie. So that's what's going on in Virginia. Room for the Holy Ghost. Indeed. And uh, surprising. The story's a little surprising, I think, to some of us. But two key conservative justices seem to open to arguments from abortion providers that they should be able to challenge a Texas abortion six weeks ban in federal court as the Supreme Court grappled with the issue for nearly three hours on Monday. Now, in a separate challenge brought by the Department of Justice, however, several conservative justices did express some reservations about the breadth of the government's arguments, with Chief Justice John Roberts calling the Biden administration's argument as broad as can be. Now, some justices suggested that the court would allow the suit brought by abortion providers to go forward and refrain from having to take action on more complicated Justice Department case. Now, Amid a nationwide firestorm, the Supreme Court agreed to fast-track two appeals brought by a coalition of abortion providers and the Biden administration, signaling that the justices understand the case to be one of the most urgent the court has considered under Roberts. The justices' new, more comprehensive look at the law comes as polls found that the public opinion of justices has reached a new low. 
And as progressive groups are pushing to add more members to the court in order to dilute the conservative majority uh, that are Mm. bought and paid for. Yeah, or in order to actually have one Supreme Court justice for every circuit court out there. Right. Uh, You know, I don't, (laughs) I mean, that's a really interesting way to put it, you know, according to this report. I think this is Washington Post, by the way. Yeah, we've got Mark Huron, who's a lawyer for a coalition of abortion providers. He's argued that the providers should be able to proceed with a lawsuit targeting not only Texas officials, but also state court judges, clerks, and any private parties who are responsible for implementing the law. Now, the crux of the argument is that the state legislature cannot craft a law that's insulated from review in federal courts, particularly when the state has delegated enforcement to the general public. Mm. Now, while the state would be immune from such a lawsuit under normal circumstances, Huron will argue, in this instance, the case can go forward because a federal constitutional right is at stake and private individuals are acting as agents of the state. Okay. Now, in response to both disputes, Texas says neither case can proceed because the state is not the proper defendant since SB 8 bars state officials from enforcing the law. Now, Texas Solicitor General Judd Stone, he emphasized that neither case, quote, presents a case or controversy, and that both challenges should be dismissed. Targeting the Biden administration's argument that federal law is supreme, Stone said the Constitution does not allow a grant of federal power to sue whenever the United States wants. Now, what's really interesting, and I think you're going to touch on this, is that Kavanaugh, I think, surprised some people today with his comments. Yeah, he was he was asking hypotheticals, basically, uh, you know, in the vein of, hey, if we allow this SB8 to go forward, what's going to stop a blue state from creating a similar law to impede on other rights like the Second Amendment? What's going to stop California from uh, allowing private citizens to sue anyone who sells an AR-15 for a million bucks? And that did seem surprising on its face. But what I think Kavanaugh is really saying on the down low is, hey, if we let this SB8 thing happen, California could write that law allowing citizens to sue gun makers unfettered or sue a cake baker for not making a gay cake. So instead of risking those rights, let's just overturn Roe v. Wade later this year when we hear it in September from Mississippi. Right. Yeah, because there's no way Kavanaugh is going to be all of a sudden pro-choice on this shit. So there's always a reason for this. Yeah. And I think it's to protect other rights that he thinks are real rights and not (laughs) Roe v. Wade. Yes. And same with um, some of the other conservatives. Amy Coney Barrett seemed to be leaning that way, too. And she's got this whole religious freedom thing. And if we go one way on SB8, we got to go one way on all constitutional rights, don't we? Now, in congressional news, though, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand has long called on Congress to provide the Paid Family and Medical Leave Act, right, to millions of Americans who don't have it. So when she found out last week the plan was dropped from the landmark spending bill, she began an 11th hour campaign to try to resurrect it. New York Democrat Gillibrand targeted the chief objector, Joe Manchin. She hit the phones Friday, fired off a flurry of texts to her moderate leaning colleague. That's funny. (laughs) Republican leaning. Yeah. That continued into the weekend. Over the weekend, she's texting him, bro, dude, uh, let's meet. Let's meet in D.C. Anywhere in the country. Let's meet anywhere. Uh, And she wanted to make the case for the benefit, right? The the family paid leave, medical leave. And uh, Manchin refused to relent. According to Gillibrand, resisting her latest entreaties, much as he had the many alternatives that Democrats presented to him in recent weeks. But Gillibrand remained undeterred. It's not over till it's over, she said. And this burst of activity from Gillibrand reflected what some reluctantly have acknowledged in the last gasp attempt to salvage one of their most popular policy promises. With the White House set to vote on sweeping spending measures as soon as Tuesday, 
It marked a new test as to whether Democrats largely led by women in the House and Senate could sway Manchin and deliver the help they long have promised to Americans. The paid leave plan that Democrats originally envisioned would have provided 12 weeks of aid for Americans who fall ill, need to care for a sick or loved one, or are attending to the birth of a new child. Tens of millions of workers do not have access to some or all of those benefits now through their employers, right? And it's interesting because Manchin, I don't think, knows how paid leave works because (laughs) when he was trying to pull it out of the bill, he's like, well, we should have a work requirement. And it's like, it's paid leave. What do you think they're taking leave from, you chode? Now, Democrats, including Gillibrand, stressed that the resulting $1.75 trillion deal is historic in its own right, but the omission of paid family leave has left many party lawmakers spoiling for a new fight. At a news conference Thursday, Nancy Pelosi pledged to reporters that she would keep fighting for the babies. That's what's happening. Oh, yes, she will. And uh, then there's Manchin. <laughs> it's like we, everything goes back to Joe right now. You know, he has announced he cannot yet support Oh, this was so infuriating today. He could not support the $1.75 trillion framework for President Biden's social spending package that congressional Democrats were hoping to push through this week. He said, I will not support a bill that is this consequential without thoroughly understanding the impact that it will have on our national debt, our economy, and most importantly, all of our American people. Now, that's what the West Virginia Democrat said during a news conference Monday afternoon. So Manchin cited concerns over inflation and the use of what he described as budget gimmicks in the framework, saying that the ultimate cost of the package could be twice as large if various programs are extended. Now, in response to Manchin's announcement Monday, White House press <laughs> you heard me, White House press secretary, you know, it's early in the week. Maybe I'm drinking, maybe I'm not. Uh, Jen Psaki, maybe I'm drinking Saki, maybe I'm not. Said the plan. There you go. There said you the go. plan. The House is finalizing will meet Manchin's call for a, quote, fiscally responsible bill. So Jen Psaki to the rescue again. Manchin instead urged House Democrats to pass the Senate-approved bipartisan infrastructure deal on its own. That legislation includes significant investments in roads, bridges, railways, and broadband internet. All very important. Now, despite Manchin's comments, we've got Rep. Pramila Jayapal, the chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. She still expects the House to be ready to vote on both the infrastructure deal and the spending package as early as Tuesday is today. She said the president said he thinks he can get 51 votes for the bill. We are going to trust him, the Washington State Democrat told CNN. We're going to do our work in the House and let the Senate do its work, but we're tired of continuing to wait for one or two people which apparently she left unnamed at that point. <laughs> I love this idea. Pass the bipartisan infrastructure plan in the House. Yep. That that sends it to Biden's desk. Yep. Then have the House pass the budget reconciliation human human infrastructure bill. They have enough votes in the House to pass it. That would have to go to the Senate. And then you're kind of daring Mansion and Cinema to vote against it. Biden says he can get the 51 votes. I think he can and he will because I mean, and when I say daring Mansion, I know everyone's like, but what if he doesn't? He mm-hmm. would lose the majority. He would lose his job. He would, I mean, he would lose his chairmanships. He, he is seriously right now just making all this noise to get all the attention that he wants. He will vote for this. And, and it would be political career suicide for him or cinema to vote against anything the House sends to the Senate. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. All right. Joining us next, the host of Spy Talk, which is an awesome podcast, Jeff Stein. He's the newest partner in the MSW Media Library, and we'll discuss national security counterintelligence investigations, where they went, and more. Stay with us. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this Helping the Daily Beans is brought to you by Let Us Grow. 
Growing your own food doesn't have to be difficult. It can also help reduce waste and water, which is good for the environment. Lettuce Grow is here to help you with a hydroponic garden that can help you grow fruits and veggies at home. No green thumb required. I can attest to that. You've seen Lettuce Grow farm stands all over social media. It is a self-watering, self-fertilizing hydroponic unit that allows you to grow your own farm fresh produce at home. Over 200 varieties of fruits and veggies, including edible flowers, which are great for cocktails, tomatoes, strawberries, and even eggplant. With only five minutes of maintenance each week, super convenient, you can do it. You can grow up to 36 plants at one time. You get pre-grown seedlings that are non-GMO, never exposed to harmful chemicals or additives, and ready to harvest in about four to six weeks. It uses 95% less water than traditional gardening, and there's no waste, and only takes up four square feet of space, indoors or out. It's made of food-grade, environmentally-friendly materials, and there's one donated for every 10 sold to a school, nonprofit, or organization. So go to lettucegrow.com slash beans to shop the farm stand and be sure to use our promo code beans at checkout for $50 off the farm stand. There's a 90-day guarantee and we have a less than 1% return rate. Everyone loves this. I love it. I have one. It's amazing. That's $50 off the farm stand at lettucegrow.com, L-E-T-T-U-C-E-G-R-O-W.com slash beans, and then use beans at checkout. And thanks to Lettuce Grow for sponsoring this show. Today's show is also brought to you by Adam and Eve. Let me ask you a question. Are you getting enough? I bet you'd love more. Well, our sponsor today, adamandeve.com, wants to give you more with 50% off just about any item, plus free shipping on your entire order. So for more than 50 years, Adam and Eve has built a reputation as a trusted and reliable adult store that takes pleasure and privacy seriously. We love pleasure. We love privacy here at The Beans. We're very sex positive. And when you want to shop erotic toys, Adam and Eve has it all. Men and women, straight or gay, anywhere in between, Adam and Eve has everything you're looking for for an amazing variety of erotic products. So what do you have to do to get your 50% off one item and free shipping for your whole order? It's not hard. Just go to adamandeve.com, select any one item. It could be an adventurous new toy or anything you desire. Just enter the code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout, and you will get 50% off almost any item. Go check out adamandeve.com today. Select one item, get 50% off, including free shipping when you enter the code Daily Beans. That's Daily Beans, D-A-I-L-Y-B-E-A-N-S at adamandeve.com. Everybody, welcome back. I'm happy today to be joined by the host of Spy Talk. It's an amazing podcast that lives at the intersection of intelligence operations, foreign policy, homeland security, and military strategy. Please welcome Jeff Stein. Jeff, hello. Hey, great. Great to be here. It's really good to see you, and it's good to talk to you. I, first of all, want to uh, announce that we will be welcoming the Spy Talk podcast to the MSW Media family, and I'm very excited to have you on board. So thank you. We are too. We're very excited. Thrilled. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome because we. this is sort of a, a little bit of a blank spot in our lineup, this type of intelligence and security information. And just to give listeners sort of an idea of where they have heard your name before, because I know they have, is few weeks ago on the season three, episode five of the Mueller She Wrote podcast, which is the sister show to the Daily Beans, I was very interested and used your reporting on the nuclear power plan, which, you know, never came to fruition. And that would have involved companies from the United States, French, Canada and Russia constructing and managing nuclear power plants in Arab nations. We did a whole episode on it back in January of 2018 called the Mideast Marshall Plan. We talked a lot about General Flynn sitting on the dais of the inauguration when Trump took the oath, texting his buddy Copson that we had, we're all clear to go with setting up these nuclear reactors. And I believe 
some of the language was very frightening to Jeff when he was saying things along the lines of and cops and was saying things along the lines of, yeah, we'll get these set up. We'll send a military out to guard these nuclear reactors. And that will be our new plan to recolonize the Middle East. And it was it was quite frightening. <laughs> but that is uh, if, if anyone remembers that reporting from way back in 2018 and then just a couple of weeks ago, that is where you will have heard the intrepid Jeff Stein's name. Well, I re- thank you very much. I, I originally broke that story in Newsweek when I was there as national security correspondent for a number of years. I had come across an amended financial disclosure form by Michael Flynn when he was national security advisor. I actually had passed the scene by that time. But uh, there was this little little item from uh, an organization I, I'd never heard of. So I just looked into it and, and I just, you know, tumbled into this rabbit's hole of this Middle East nuclear power deal where they would bring all these consortiums together. It just didn't smell right. And one of the greatest uh, compliments you can get when you're digging up a story like that is you go to the House Oversight Committee and they say, gee, we never heard about that. So it triggered a a substantial investigation of that deal. And it was a great pleasure to report it out. And it did get legs. And it continues to get legs because, as I reported recently, there were yet more payments that hadn't been disclosed by Flynn. So Flynn is always with us. You know, it's just it's like gum on your shoe. (laughs) Sounds like something weird you'd hear at Catholic Mass. Flynn be with you and also with you. He's always here. Uh I want to talk a little bit about the spy talk because. You have an amazing co-host. Tell us about Jean Meserve. Oh, Jean Meserve is an amazing co-host. She really pioneered the Homeland Security beat at CNN way back in the day. She had been a, uh, an anchor for CNN, and before that uh, was an ABC TV distinguished reporter. So, you know, uh, our paths had crossed a number of times back in the day because I was the founding editor of, of Homeland Security Daily at Congressional Quarterly. So we sort of knew each other, but she called me up uh, last uh, winter and said, gee, I love spy talk. I'd like to get involved somehow. And I said, boy, have I got a gig for you. And I brought her on as the co-host. And I like to think she's the pro in the outfit because she's been a prominent broadcast journalist for some time, knows the Homeland Security part of the equation very well and has extensive contacts in the security field. So she's a great co-host and and a joy to work with. Yeah. And also I have here, she won a couple of Peabody Awards for her coverage of Katrina and the Gulf oil spill and um, Yitzhak Rabin's assassination she covered and the death of Princess Diana. I mean, she's got a, a heck of a resume. Yeah. She's not only covered Homeland Security at home, and that included, of course, these, uh, like you pointed out, these natural disasters. She's sort of like uh you know, uh, a rescue team. She would be flown into these uh, big natural disasters, hurricanes and so on to cover them and distinguish herself in that. And then she was off to Israel, covered the Rabin assassination, which was really chaotic. So she's gotten around the world quite a bit uh, and adds great luster to the Spy Talk podcast. And I I couldn't be more thrilled than to have her as my partner on on the podcast. Yeah. And uh, looking at your tenure of four decades, <laughs> right, of, of, of covering spy agencies, military affairs, foreign policy. Again, like you mentioned, Newsweek's national security correspondent. And how long have you been doing the spy talk column? It's been it's been quite a while. It's been 16 years now. And when you say mm-hmm. decades, boy, 
<laughs> that pushes me back. Who would have thought we'd even be standing after all the tumult we've been through? Anyway, as I said, I had been brought on to start the uh, Homeland Security Daily Congressional Quarterly back in 2002, which is mostly domestic issues, legislative issues, because they were just standing up the Department of Homeland Security, all the chaos that went along with that. I had a team of about seven reporters, a couple editors, and uh, we were really on their backs day after day after day. And it was a great success. And it was interesting. But my my major field has always been foreign policy, foreign military operations, national security. And so I was just kind of itching to get some, some of the stuff out that would, just kept coming my way. So I started a weekly column called Spy Talk. And then it turned into three times a week and then every day. And it got a pretty good following. So that went on for, uh, oh, four or five years. And then when the company was sold and a whole bunch of us were laid off, the Washington Post picked me up and I did the blog. There's a twice, once, once a day, twice a day uh, blog, which called for a lot of instant wisdom, which is not really my thing. I'm kind of a slow thinker <laughs> and uh, I do more investigative stuff. So when Newsweek was uh, relaunched in 2013, uh, the editor called me up and hired me and, and it started a very fruitful collaboration with, with Newsweek, where I did a lot of investigative reporting, commentary, uh, some under the spy talk uh, banner and some other long features that were not exactly spy talk, but were in that bailiwick. Like I returned to Vietnam in 2017 and I tracked down my former enemy or adversary uh, in Vietnam, the, the head of Viet Cong intelligence operations in the same area I was, just to uh, give your listeners a little background. I ended up in, as a case officer in intelligence myself for a couple of years due to the circumstances of about being drafted. And when, I, when you got drafted back then, you went into the infantry most likely, and I didn't even like camping, so I knew I would be no good at the infantry in Vietnam. So I got into an intelligence outfit and did a year in language school, Vietnamese language school, before I went there and then was assigned to pick up an ongoing operation and ran it. And my nemesis was the head of Viet Cong or communist intelligence in the same area. And when I learned he was retired and heading up a veterans committee in Da Nang, I began angling to to interview him. And I, I pictured us sort of walking the streets of Da Nang together and trading old spy stories from the war. Unfortunately, by the time I got a green light from Vietnamese authorities to interview him, he was uh, infirm. So I tracked him down in his house and uh, was able to have a kind of a limited conversation with him. But it was a fascinating trip. And, and in my piece, I was, a lot, I was, you know, given license to revisit a lot of old spy stories from the war myself. That's very interesting. And it's, it's also personally interesting to me because of the work that my father did in, in Vietnam. And I want to I want to touch on that a little bit. And I also want to talk to you about some more current events. But I have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Sure. Thank you, everybody. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG. And this Helping of the Beans is brought to you by BetterHelp. They provide professional online therapy wherever and whenever you need it most. Everyone needs a little help from time to time. I can attest to that. And BetterHelp counselors are always there to provide support and guidance no matter what you're going through. You know, my experience with PTS and stress and anxiety has taught me it's always better to ask for help than to try to deal with it alone. And even though asking for help is hard, BetterHelp makes it convenient and very easy. You can message your counselor anytime from anywhere in the world. You get timely responses. 
And you can schedule weekly meetings by phone or video from wherever you're at. So you don't have to go to an office or sit in traffic. It's more affordable than offline counseling. Financial aid's available. And they have a really great therapeutic match program. They have the promise. If you need to change counselors for any reason, it's free and easy. Visit BetterHelp's website and read some testimonials like this one by user AN who says, Janet is among one of the greatest therapists. She will push you to go outside of your comfort zone, but in a good way. She's been absolutely wonderful and understanding about my situation and my issues. I've never felt judged and I never feel like I need to alter myself to appear better than I am. She's so sweet and I'm thankful for her. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. You can join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. We have a special offer for Daily Beans listeners. You get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. And today's show is also brought to you by Glamnetic. Never show up late because of makeup ever again. Glamnetic's magnetic lashes are created to save you time and money. Glamnetic's magnetic lashes are a game changer. They take under a minute to apply. No toxic glue. They're so comfortable. There's no struggle. You get up to 60 uses per lash. So they're eco-friendly and they're wallet-friendly. They have over 75 styles to find your perfect fit from natural to full glam. You get a different lash for every mood or every occasion if you like. Take their lash quiz or use their lash guide to find the style that suits you best. And they have vegan and cruelty-free options available, too. Over 500,000 happy customers can't be wrong. Plus, they have a 100% money-back guarantee with expedited shipping and free shipping to the U.S. and Canada on orders over $30. Find out for yourself why Glamnetic Lashes are Instagram's favorite beauty hack. Go to glamnetic.com beans and enter our promo code beans for 30% off your order. This code is only available to you. That's glamnetic.com beans and enter promo code beans at checkout for 30% off. I promise you guys, these lashes literally apply themselves. You will love them. Everybody, welcome back. We are talking with the host of Spy Talk, the podcast, Jeff Stein. And Jeff, uh, before the break, we were briefly talking about Vietnam and intelligence. And, you know, uh, growing up my whole life, I never knew what my dad did during the war. Mm. I knew he went in and I knew he had exposure to Agent Orange. And uh, I thought he was just sort of a boots on the ground type of a, a fella. But he never talked about any of it. And so it was only a few months ago, actually, after we learned from, I think, The Atlantic that uh, Trump had called veterans suckers and losers. Mm. And I had said, you know, oh, my dad who died from exposure to Agent Orange, I guess he's a sucker or whatever. Mm. Somebody's like, oh, tell me about that. How did he get exposed to Agent Orange? So I went I went down a rabbit hole, found out, interviewed members of the family and my mom and and looked at some archives and things from the JFK library. And as it turns out, he. He joined, he was sent to Syracuse for a Russian intensive learning program, and he had to live with a Russian family for total immersion. And then he trained at Cheyenne Mountain, right? Mm-hmm. War games. And then was at Kunia, three miles underground. My mom was moved from the army base to Wheeler Naval Base and was given a an, some sort of crazy ESI int clearance level that she shouldn't have had because she was really just a a Navy parts librarian, but because of what my dad was doing. And it turns out he he was TDY to Vietnam probably eight times in 1967. Mm. And from the research I was able to find out about the 1957th comms unit, he was working on exercise high heels, which is a tabletop wartime exercise for preemptive nuclear strike from Russia, but also building communications relays in North Vietnam Mm. and then intercepting messages from Russia, decrypting them, translating them, encrypting them, sending them to Clark Air Force Base. Mm. And so he was an E-5 Air Force crypto guy. And here he was doing this massive intelligence work. When he got out, 
NATO wanted him. CIA wanted him at NATO headquarters just after it was moved. And uh, he said, no, I'm not I'm not going to do any of that stuff anymore. Uh, mm. He wanted out. Mm. But uh, really interesting sort of intelligence work that went on during that time. Well, back in the day, uh, the way the, the table of organization went is that the enlisted men did a lot of the, the grunt spy work, like infantrymen in the infantry were in the enlisted men. And that was true when I went in. Uh, I was offered and, and cajoled many times to go to officer's candidate school, like many of us at the intelligence school were. But we opted to stay enlisted men because we wanted to be case officers. I mean, we're in, we might as well be case officers, which is to say agent recruiters and handlers. And uh, I've lectured at the uh, JAG school down in Charlottesville, the Judge Advocate General School. And often I've told the story that I'd be sitting at the Navy officer. I was undercover as a civilian rank GS uh, 11 and 12 when I was in Vietnam. We actually had a promotion party for me. Totally fake, of course. Um, <laughs> I'd be sitting at the bar uh, buying some Admiral a drink. And I and I think, boy, if he knew I was an enlisted, if, if he knew I was a spy, he would be mildly disturbed that, you know, I wasn't the personnel officer that he thought I was. But if he knew I was an enlisted man, he'd freak out. So, <laughs> so it was, uh, most of us who were case officers were enlisted men. Maybe uh, a lieutenant here and there, but mostly enlisted men did do the grunt work, including your dad, including me. And, and I also got infected by Agent Orange as well. So we have that in common. Well, I'm sorry that that happened to you. And when I went to work for the VA, that was something I was hoping to make sure that living vets had, had benefits for and their survivors. But uh, yeah, it's a long process. If you don't mind, I want to fast forward to some current national security events. Sure. Because recently I had a chat with Frank Figluzzi, who, you know, counterintelligence assistant director at the FBI, about this new reemerging story about the Alpha Bank server communications with Trump Tower and Spectrum Health and how the people who were sort of denigrated in Durham's recent indictment of Sussman, the lawyer who brought the information to the FBI, to Jim Baker, general counsel. Despite all that, the researchers who actually worked on researching what was going on with the communications between the servers came forward and said, we absolutely unanimously believed this was a covert communications operation that was covered up by Trump and Alpha Bank or the Trump Organization and Alpha Bank. And that's brand new reporting we haven't heard before. We, we sort of assumed, we, you know, but I was wondering, you know, because we never heard the fruition of that investigation into the Alpha Bank communications never came to fruition. And I queried to Frank, I'm like, well, maybe that was a CI and maybe that was a counterintelligence investigation, which correct me if I'm wrong, the public generally never hears about. They don't make arrests based on counterintelligence stuff. I mean, they might make a criminal referral if they find a crime was committed, but Maybe that's why we never heard about what happened with that AlphaBank server or the details or the conclusions, if any, were drawn. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts about that. Well, the, the, the prime point that you made, which is an important one, is that counterintelligence investigations are secret. Very, very secret. That they're, they're after the family jewels, really. They're after enemy penetrations of our intelligence agencies, our communications, and so on. Of course, the moles. And so within this foggy area of counterintelligence, you have the subsector of all the Trump stuff. And when we read about these things in the news, we're often just getting a sliver of an event and, and it, it may turn out to be wrong 
witness the so-called steel dossier. We're still sorting out what's right and what's not right. Who was behind it? Who were the sources? Were they thoroughly vetted? And so on. So that's up for question. And you've brought up with the server an even smaller niche in the in counterintelligence and in the Trump corner of counterintelligence investigations. I just don't think we can come up with a definitive answer yet. I think we, you know, it's inevitable that when reporters find out stuff, they're going to print it. It's very hard to get a lot of corroboration. And even when you have, here's the thing about intelligence reporting. Even if you have multiple corroboration on something, it doesn't mean it's true. It just means that two, three, four people have agreed on a certain piece of information. They all may be wrong. They all may be putting out misinformation or just have a part of the story. So I think we just have to be patient about the stuff. You know, Mueller indicated that uh, the counterintelligence investigation and Comey and uh, that the counterintelligence investigations are going forward. There's a whole other area of the financial transactions between uh, Trump and the Russians is not thoroughly explored in the Mueller investigation. So this stuff is going to come out in dribs and drabs over time. It would be great to have a special prosecutor, you know, relaunched just to to get to the bottom of all the financial transactions between Trump, the Trump campaign, the Russians, Trump company and the Russians. The bottom line, of course, is that what we know now is extremely troubling. We've got the Russians favorite candidate who is trying to try who tried to stay in office illegally. And it's making a comeback to try to recapture the audience and all. And the Republicans have put, put all these mechanisms in place to delegitimize the election of a Democrat as president. So it's very troubling. I think people are having a hard time naturally getting their arms around it. They consider it sensationalist or that we're really uh, off our rocker to talk about coup d'etats. But serious people who look into the stuff, including myself. I'll, I'll include myself, are extremely worried about what's going to happen in the security agencies should Trump make a comeback. I've been gathering some really troubling views from former top FBI, CIA, and other agency officials. We've been talking about how the workforce in the CIA, FBI, NSA, and so on would react if Trump puts uh, Kash Patel in charge of the FBI, uh, say. Mark Meadows to run the CIA. Uh, these things are not, I mean, Mark Meadows was the chief of staff of the president of the United States. So what's to keep him from being appointed to run the FBI or the CIA? Nothing. And these people have shown little regard to the legal processes of government. They detest the federal bureaucracy. And uh, I think uh, we're looking at a tornado on the horizon. Well, yeah, I mean, the whole idea is to destroy institutions and agencies. Uh, we, we saw that. I mean, it was our, the joke on our show was, he, you know, he would put a dingo in charge of a baby, mm-hmm. which is I mean, that's just, you know, the head of the EPA is an oil guy, hates environmental protection, education, all for private and hates board, Brown v. Board, you know, just like mm-hmm. absolutely anti whatever. Rick Perry wanted to eliminate the Department of Energy and became the head of it. So, it you know, it's just I think that that's sort of the the what we were looking at and the national security implications are are huge. And I, I remember having a discussion early on in the Mueller investigation with uh, Andy McCabe about, look, if you have a counterintelligence investigation going on and you find out all this stuff, who do you tell? 
Mm-hmm. You know, who do you go to with that? Mm-hmm. I mean, above the FBI, you've got the attorney general, you've got the president of the United States. They're all corrupt. They're all, you're like, you can't take this to Bill Barr and be like, yeah, we found this Alpha Bank communication server thing with try Forget about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like, where do you go with it? How, like, what do you yeah. do with it? Yeah, you can. Uh, Trump has shown a willingness to have almost permanent acting directors who serve at his pleasure. It's very Putin-esque, too, because all of his prime ministers are not permanent, right? Yeah, indeed. So trouble ahead. I don't know where do we go from there. It, no, it's, I, think- I don't know what the options are. We, I had a discussion with some veteran uh, reporters who are longtime friends of mine over the dinner table the other night. And we were just, you know, debating how is it going to go down? I frankly, and, you know, again, I might sound like a maniac here. I see a violent, I see, you know, a takeover of the government. The word fascist comes to mind, but, you know, these are guys in 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 cheap cologne and, and tassel loafers. We don't see jackboots in the streets. But to the same effect, when you corrupt all these institutions and arms of government, you've got you've got what amounts to basically the same thing. And with that comes the imposition of you know, secret police, all the mechanisms that were uh, inaugurated by and approved by a Bush and Obama uh, are in place. The state has immense powers to go after individuals in this country or hell to kill them. You know, as Anwar al-Awlaki, an American citizen, was killed by a drone strike in Yemen. We uh, authorized, uh, it was, uh, it was uh, Gina Haspel, the CIA director, who authorized, I'm sure, to police Trump, the assassination of a top Iranian official, Qasem Soleimani. So we've been really straining at the tethers of government for some time now. We had, you know, stellar winds, NSA uh, uh, mass surveillance program. These things, you know, we always have kind of a, a confidence that in the end, the structure of government will hold. People will say, well, on January 6th, you know, they didn't succeed. Well, I, I think at this point, that's a kind of, kind of a Pollyannish view. I think we have to be prepared for the worst. Uh, but the problem is, I don't see how how we do prepare for the worst if the national security agencies are taken over by this alien Trump force uh, that wants to uh, obliterate law and order. So I don't know. I think about it, you know, in, in personal terms, what, what, what would I do? Report on it? I mean, you know, we count on action when we discover, when we uncover something as reporters, we expect, uh, we hope the government will take action to correct abuses. But what if the government itself is the abuse? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. We shouldn't talk about that anymore. It's, it's too depressing. <laughs> it's kind of a downer. Yeah, we did hold on January 6th. But, you know, as these as this information comes out with, uh, you know, Clark and Eastman and, and Trump and the Willard and Bannon, like mm-hmm. as we see, like every week we see that we came closer and closer and closer and closer than we than we thought possible. And now we've got, you know, all these Republican states wanting to take the electoral decisions out of the hands of actual, you know, non-politicians and put it in the state legislatures and to carry out what Eastman sort of outlined in his in his six step memo there for Pence to to, you know, throw out electors from certain states and, and appoint new slates. And I'm hoping that the January 6th committee, who is now looking at modifying the Electoral Vote Act, which I thought was very clever because it also gives them a really clear legislative purpose for anybody that was involved in, in January mm-hmm. 6th. 
So any of these lawsuits can can get tanked and then they can actually hold on these criminal contempt charges. You know, I'm hoping that that goes somewhere. And it, it'll also be very interesting to see if that gets done in time, what Republicans in Congress vote against it. I think you're absolutely right. And I, I, I think one of the things to watch is how the Justice Department handles more events like January 6th, whether it will end up prosecuting misdemeanors or, you know, making uh, out of court settlements of seditious acts that uh, acts, uh, acts of trespassing and so on that are clearly aimed at uh, sedition uh, are, are treated. It's it's a really dicey question because we because of the way our republic was formed, our bill of rights was written, and so on. We 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 tilt toward individual freedom in the balance of power. But if uh, people are taking advantage of the freedoms written into the Constitution to foment conspiracy to overthrow the government, I think the Justice Department has got to find a way to uh, to neutralize these forces. And, and when you're talking about members of Congress acting in seditious ways, conspiring to overthrow the government, you've essentially got the rebirth of the Confederacy inside the government. And I don't I, I'm not a legal scholar. I don't know where they're going to end up. But I know that it, just from the news coverage that, that some judges are really impatient with the Justice Department for settling these cases with mar- mod- very modest charges when people were there clearly to uh, stop the orderly processes of uh, of government, including, um, you know, legitimizing the election of the president. It doesn't get much more dangerous than that. Yeah. The only thing I'm hoping is, or I guess the one thing I'm hoping is that these are the early cases. These are the early cooperators that we're just seeing now with these sent with these sentences. And, uh, you know, I think they might be leaving room at the top so to speak, to to get those conspiracy and then seditious conspiracy charges. I know they've let slip a few times. They are looking at seditious conspiracy. We saw it in a warrant in one of the Oath Keepers lawyers seizures for a search warrant. And I'm hoping that we do see that. And I'm hoping by the time we get to the top, uh, which I must, uh, from my understanding from Merrick Garland's testimony, is waiting for the inspector general of the Department of Justice to make recommendations on that. Once we get to the top, maybe we'll start seeing the very, very strong charges. But I think that accountability and punishment here is necessary for deterrence, but within the constraints of the law. But at what point do you allow freedom of speech and, and 1A and, and individual liberties to to make it so people can overthrow the government? <laughs> like mm-hmm. at what, at what, There has to be a line somewhere. And right. I, I hope that, that Merrick Garland has the intestinal fortitude to draw it. Well, the, the key word you mentioned is time. Time is running fast. The clock is running fast. The clock may run out in January 2025 so that if we're going to find a solution to this problem, we got to find it now because all indicate, I mean, there's a lot going to happen between now and then, but it looks like the Republicans are going to take over the governorship of Virginia. And those are Trump Republicans. As you know, there's a lot of voter suppression and gerrymandering acts going on around, uh, around the country. Uh, to, to rig the vote next time around. So essentially, we've got a four-year clock to settle these issues and settle them in a way that are constitutionally sound, but deal forcefully with the threat of insurrection in this country. And uh, the attorney general has really got to get on top of this and move move quickly because we just, we just he's not going to have time to do it after January 25th, I fear, 2025. Yeah, yeah agreed. 
Agreed. Well, that was a very depressing discussion for uh, for our first time out here. But I did want to thank you for coming on the show. And I'm really excited about Spy Talk coming over on MSW Media. Check it out at MSWmedia.com. And uh, it comes out every Thursday. Is that correct? That's the new schedule, right? It's Thursday, uh, O'Dawn 30. O'Dawn 30, wherever you get your pods. And we couldn't be more excited to be here. We're, we're very excited about it. Yeah, this is, uh, I think, a very important piece of the puzzle for for our news politics justice that we just have to get out to the people. So thanks for doing the work. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Allison. Great to be here. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody, it's AG bringing you the Daily Beans. And this segment of the show is sponsored by Upstart, absolutely amazing company. If you dread looking at your credit card statements month after month, you are not alone. So many of us lived on credit cards during the pandemic. Now we carry these high interest debts. And the weight of that debt can be crippling. You throw the minimum payment at it. It doesn't seem to go down at all because you're just paying mostly interest. But Upstart can help you on your path to financial freedom. It's easy to pay off your debt with an online personal loan with Upstart. Over a million people have used it to consolidate high interest debt or pay off credit cards or fund personal expenses with one fixed monthly payment. And because the Upstart looks beyond your credit score, you're more than just a number. They can find you a better rate by considering other factors such as your income or your current employment, your employment history, your credit history. And you can check your rate for free without impacting your credit score in minutes for loans between $1,000 to $50,000 and compare the interest rates on your credit cards with what you can get from Upstart. There's It's a soft pull, so it doesn't hit your credit. And you can receive funds in as fast as one business day after acceptance of your loan. So find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash dailybeans. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. Please use our URL to let them know we sent you. Your loan amount will be determined based on your credit income and other certain information provided in your loan application. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. And today's show is also brought to you by the wonderful people at Hunter Douglas. Do you know I've just done a bunch of remodeling stuff and nothing is complete with a remodel until you adjust the lights and shades and blinds in your home. And Hunter Douglas, designers of innovative window shade designs, gorgeous fabrics and control systems so advanced they can be programmed to automatically adjust throughout the day, have it all. Perhaps it's the way the shades diffuse harsh sunlight to cast a beautiful glow or being able to enjoy the view outside while keeping your privacy or the superior insulation because you can keep warmer in the winter and cooler in the summer. You lower your utility bills and you lessen the strain on our electricity grids. It's amazing. Better, good for the planet. And it's beautiful. Or it's, you know, it's that Goldilocks moment. You walk into your room, everything looks and feels right. With Hunter Douglas's PowerView technology, you can set the shades to adjust automatically to achieve light, privacy, and insulation morning, noon, and night. Check out their website for all their custom window blinds, shades, shutters, and drapery options. You'll love discovering how Hunter Douglas window treatments transform the light in your home, elevating everyday life and defining the mood of every room in your house. So live beautifully with Hunter Douglas. Enjoy greater convenience, enhanced style, increased comfort in your home throughout the day. Visit HunterDouglas.com slash DailyBeans today to take advantage of the Seasons of Style rebate savings event. That's HunterDouglas.com slash DailyBeans for limited time savings. Offer expires December 6, 2021. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news. It's on the way. And if you have any good news or confessions or corrections or anything, pictures, I want to see those Halloween pictures so badly. Oh, we're going to see them. We are going <laughs> to see them. You can send them to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Fill out our little form. I'm going to go ahead and kick us off. Dana, we have our first entry here from Paul, pronounced he, him, they, she, neutral. I am grateful to the listener who corrected the use of the term backslash in a URL, but you may not realize 
that error was not as egregious as you might suppose. Go on. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> if people were to use the backslash in typing a web address, it would work the same as the uh, syntactically correct slash. Browsers are smart. They'll make the correction. Please, please, please do not overcompensate by using the term forward slash. <laughs> forward slash or forward slash, as some of the Brits say. These terms are so offensive to my ears that I often turn off podcasts, which I would otherwise be sure to pay attention to if my sensibilities were not being racked by this perverse and unnecessary prefixing. Think paper cuts, fingernails on chalkboards. Let us honor the slash, which has a history going back many centuries. If you wish, call it a solidus or a virgule, but please do not sully it with excess modifiers. In closing, as a devoted Canadian listener, let me offer you a compliment on your opening theme music. I will never get tired of hearing news with swearing. Magnificent. Paul, thank you. That is They Might Be Giants. All credit to them. And Dana, off the hook. Yeah, I got to pass on yeah. that one. I like when my yep. mistakes are not egregious. Yeah, and, and forward slash. Again, so unnecessary. Who would do that? I mean, that is a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Next up, we have Toby, the waiter. Pronounce he him. Oh, mighty beansters. Now, this is response to your call for Halloween pet costumes awaiting for delicious news treats every day. Thank you for serving them up. Oh, it's a skull oh, tuxedo. That tuxedo. Look at the eyes, too. Like, hey. It's awesome. That's so cute. You want to take the next one as well? Sure. Awesome. This one's from Kate, pronouncing her. Hey, beans queens. Good news. I started therapy last week. I'm really proud of myself. Yay. I am also proud of you, Kate. I've struggled with anxiety and depression for several years, and your regular reminder to take care of our mental health was part of me taking this step forward to a healthier life. Thank you. Pod Pet Tax, please enjoy our completely failed picture of our little family of skeletons. Walter's the big brother, and Norbert is the little brother. Extra points if you can find Norbert in the family pic. Norbert is named after Hagrid's baby dragon in Harry Potter, so naturally he needed a second costume as a very spooky dragon. I am looking for Norbert. I see oh, them both. I, I see, see two him. heads. Yep, I see him. Excellent. This is amazing. Oh my God, look at the joyful look. Kate, what a great smile you have, my dear. I'm so proud of you. This is a fantastic picture. Yes. Oh, there's more. Oh, the babies. Oh, <gasps> oh these dogs look so soft. <laughs> look at the bat wings. I love them. <laughs> it does. It reminds me of when I used to crimp my hair in high school. That butt fluff right there. <laughs> Yeah. Now, if I crimp my hair again, I'm just going to call it butt fluff because that's what it is. Perfect. All right. I'm going to got the next two for you. From Susan, pronouns she and her. Hi. I'm so happy I quote unquote discovered your podcast. In-depth news with laughter and a little swearing. Fun. In celebration of Halloween pet pics, I submit Murphy, who needed to lose some weight when I, <laughs> and I feel that we succeeded. Hilarious. You can definitely see Murphy's bones in this picture. Oh my God. Next picture. Oh, oh my God. Oh my God. All right. Murphy's adorable. On to Patty. No pronouns given. Here's a picture of my dogs doing their part for the supply chain. Delivering <laughs> UPS, USPS packages. This dog's adorable. Okay. All dog costumes should be made with arms and feet because when they <laughs> run, walk, yeah. uh, it makes me so happy. Those little polar um, panda bears, the that pandas they run around. My Especially gosh. in slow motion. Oh my God. The best. So good. The best. Thank you for these. This next one's from Molly. No pronouns given on this one. Greetings, glorious sisters of the bean. Thank you for all that you do. Please keep my awesome mom, Paula, an avid listener, in your thoughts as we recently found out that her breast cancer has metastasized. Molly, I'm so mm -hmm. sorry, and we will. 
For pet tax, I have included a photo of our rotund beauty Lucille Ethel Gertrude Marie in her Halloween finery. I am sure she's quietly plotting her revenge. She most definitely is. Oh, yes. And Molly Big Life's your mom. That's right. Oh, look at this hot dog. So, so, so sweet. All right. Next up from K, pronouns she and her. Hello, ladies of the Gluguminati. The following is a product of not wanting to get up this morning and my humble submission to the Hallelujah Project. Ooh, this one's long. All right. Three verses. La, la, la. All right. You want to do the middle one? You want to take one? Sure. Happy to. All right. First on. It went to hell in 2016. Felt left behind, know what I mean. Reps seem just for those with sufficient moolah. So many ignored a simple truth. A grifter used their voting booth. Exposed the flaws within their laws and hoorah. Go ahead. My faith was strong, but I've seen proof. Alternative facts can obscure the truth from those who hear only what they wanna. Fearing for democracy, I found this cat in ESAG, discovering that I was not alone, hallelujah. (laughs) Nice. The wheels of justice sure grind slow, with swears and laughter we forego. A damage of uncertainty upon our medulla. (laughs) With pet taxes and funny songs to remind us that not all is wrong. Together we can still stand strong, hallelujah. 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 I'm between pets at the moment, so send a seasonal picture for you of Californians who do without a real fall. That's us. The other photo is a place I spotted on the St. Lawrence River where I imagine going. When the political landscape here gets too awful. Not sure if it's in Canada or the U.S., but it looks like neutral territory. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm taking I will go with you. We can switch weeks. Look at that little cabin in the water. Give me a kayak. Give me a boat. I'm going. <laughs> Let's go. I will get there. I'll learn how to swim. I mean, I can swim. I just don't swim in lakes or oceans because they scare me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, we'll get a boat. We'll, we'll have a boat. We'll go out in a boat in a boat. Get your towels ready. Yeah, it's about to go. Look at those hanging pumpkins. They're very beautiful. Not to be confused with Smashing Pumpkins. It's a different band. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Thank you so much for that submission. Well done. And thank you for the pet Halloween pictures. Keep sending them in. And your human costumes, too. I want to see them all. And Paul, thanks for setting us straight on the backslash slash slash. (laughs) That might be the episode title. Anyway, I appreciate everything. You want to send anything into us, you can do so at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Do you have any final thoughts before we exit? I don't think I do. Other than um, I'm just, you know, by the time you hear this, we, AG and I won't know yet, but I'm just praying Virginia does what they need to. And if you're hearing this early and you're like, oh my God, I forgot today we're voting. Get out and vote. Tell your friends, call your friends, pick up your friends, go vote. Let's see if we can get keep this blue. We need to keep this blue in Virginia, the governor's race. Yes, muy importante. And thank you so much. Day two back. I feel like I got the dust off. I don't feel as rusty as I did yesterday. So thanks for every like everyone just sort of letting us get through yesterday's show. <laughs> I think my rust and- came today. <laughs> <laughs> You had slow rust. It's cool. That's right. It's cool. I thought you were absolutely wonderful today, Dana. Thank you so much for being here. I love you, my friend. I love you, my dear. And for everyone else, till tomorrow, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. 
I'm Allison Gill. And I am Dana Goldberg. And them's The Beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.